You know, I, I know you guys have already had one Easter, but have you ever heard of second Easter? You're about to get it. <laughs> We've had one Easter, yes, but what about second Easter? So we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have an Easter message today. I hope I hope it's okay to proclaim the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on two straight Sundays because that's what we're gonna do this morning, and we're gonna do it as we as we hear Genesis 22. So. Um, Let's go ahead and hear God's word to us this morning. We pray first that the Lord would bless it. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it lights our steps. It guides our path. We thank you, Lord, for um, showing us the work of your son in it, showing his work for us. And Father, we, we, we pray as we look into this text that you would open our hearts and your spirit would, would work freely in our hearts Bring peace where peace is needed. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Bring hope where hope is needed. Bring joy where joy is needed. Lord, meet with us through this text. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God declares to us in Genesis 22 this morning, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you, again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the stand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and your, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. 
And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, I like stories. I like stories a lot. I play a lot of tabletop role-playing games, and I, I tell stories, and, and we tell stories together. Um, how many Marvel spinoffs are they counting? I lost, it was like 14 or something like that, not to counting the Star Wars spinoffs. You know what? I'm going to watch every single one of them. I, I haven't watched Winter Soldier yet. Uh, WandaVision was just too good, right? And then uh, I've heard everybody talking about WandaVision. I've heard no one talking about Winter Soldier, that kind of concerns me, except apparently Captain America looks goofy in it. So, so I, I don't know. That's all I've heard. But I, 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 I love stories. I'm dying for the new Dune release. I cannot wait for the new... Anybody read Dune? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest sci-fi book of all time. Read Dune. Anyways, I, I, I can't wait for the new movie to come out. They're actually going to do it right. And it got delayed because of COVID. I love stories. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Why do all stories seem to have the same kind of thrust, though. Um, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Brandon Sanderson, he, he actually teaches creative writing at BYU, and he, he talks about certain writing tropes, and one of them is the hero's journey of, a, of someone redeeming in some way, rescuing people from a dark power, redeeming people from certain destruction. When we go back in history... These are the oldest stories that we have in human history. Why is that? Why are those the stories we're drawn to? Now, it might be knights in armor. It might be like, you know, people in a small town. It might be those kind, but there's always some kind of redemptive arc. Why do we look for that? Why do we long for that? Why does our soul cry out for that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And as we look into our text, we have to realize that our story in our text today has a prologue. And do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't just show up right after the fall of man? Like, Adam and Eve used to have their little fruit feast. Jesus could just show up and be like, hi, my name is Yeshua. How are you? I'm going to this cross over here. And, and it could be done, solved. Well, why is, why is that? Well, simple reason is because it wouldn't have made any sense, would it? It wouldn't have made any sense. Who's Jesus? Why'd he have to come? What, what would he do? How bad exactly was, was man's problem? How could that be communicated? Uh, what did God actually require? What, what, what exactly did Jesus do and why do we need him? You see, I think, I think sometimes we, we look at the Bible uh, in, in the wrong way. I, I, I was a weird kid. Some of you might say I'm a weird adult, but fair enough. But I was a weird kid. And, 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 and uh, okay, kids, okay, kids, look at me. When I grew up, there was no internet, okay? No internet. I tried to explain to my daughter what a beeper was when she was six. It was great. I, I explained it. That, that when someone wanted to get a hold of me, what, what it was, and, and you had to have money for a payphone and, and all this kind of stuff. And she just looked at me. She said, Daddy, why didn't they just call you? No connection. That when you were out, you were out. No one knew where you were. It was wonderful. But what we had, kids, my mom bought a World Book Encyclopedia set. And we had this encyclopedia set, A to Z, 
And then every year you would get an update, which to me was utterly useless because how am I supposed to know anything was updated? I just have to flip through the updates, to, you know, and after about 15 years, there's a lot of updates. Uh, it, it became utterly useless, but I would, I, I, I like to read. And, and so I would just grab an encyclopedia book and just start reading the encyclopedia. So, hey, aardvark. I don't know anything about aardvarks. Let's read about aardvarks. And then, and then I don't know what comes after aardvark, but, but, you know, I would just read the next thing. And I, I, I would just do that. And often I think we treat the Bible like that, like it's like it's a subject reference. What does the Bible say about X? Hmm, let me flip and just look through it. Now, that, that you, might, you might get some very good principles doing that. I'm not saying that's completely wrong, but what I'm saying is it misses all what Scripture is. Scripture's a story, y'all. It's a story. It's a story of God redeeming a sinful people for himself. It's a story to us of, 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 of God redeeming his people through the work of Christ. It's a story. 66 books telling the same story from Genesis to Revelation. And so our passage today, we hear one of the clearest and earliest pictures of the cross in all of script, on all the scriptures. And in it, not only do we see the cross foreshadowed, but we also see the resurrection of Christ and why we need Jesus as our Savior. And so in this passage, it teaches us that Jesus is the promised uh, provision provided by God the Father for the salvation of God's people. Jesus is the promised provision provided by God the Father for the salvation of God's people. Um, pa Pastor Barker asked if I had an outline, uh, and I didn't have one because I only have two points. It's really simple. You ready for the outline? The picture and the reality. There you go. It, but, but the picture and the reality, that's what we're going to look at today. So let's look at the picture. So your passage to this story, as I said, has a prologue. Well, we talked about a little bit about the problem in the garden. Well, we need to set it up. As our scripture opens, from Genesis 1-1, what do we hear? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all living life, as, and as the crown of his creative work, he created man and woman, and he, he gave them a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. But he also gave them a command. You can eat from all of these trees. All of my goodness is before you, except for one, except for one tree. There's nothing inherently evil about the tree, right? It didn't have like black leaves and it wasn't full of thorns, right? It didn't smell bad, right? There was nothing inherently evil about the tree, but what was the tree? What was it there for? It was a, it was a trial, it was a test. You see, and this is important. The goal of humanity was, was never the garden. It was never the goal. Um, sometimes on a Saturday morning, I, I would have a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door, which I always, I always say, thank you, Jesus. I have someone I can talk to. And um, I had this one knocked on my door, and he was telling me about this wonderful earth. And I asked him a simple question. I asked him, will I be with Jesus? And he started telling me about the anointed class. And, and I said, I'm sorry. A nice garden isn't good enough for me. I want Jesus. That's what I want. The goal of humanity was never just life in a nice garden. It was life with God. That is the goal of humanity, eternal life with God. But heaven, if heaven's the goal, heaven must be earned. Man needed... What, 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 what people call positive righteousness to earn eternal life with God. I mean, uh, 
let's say I have no debts, okay? No debts whatsoever, I don't, but let's say I did. Um, uh, and to get in to the concert only cost $1. I still don't have the dollar to get in, right? I need a positive righteousness of, 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 of a dollar to get in. I, I, I don't have that. Man needs positive righteousness to, earn, to, to have life eternally with God. But man didn't follow the command. Satan came to man and woman and tempted them to sin. And, and when they ate from the tree, they saw that they were naked. And what did they do? What's the first thing they do? They tempted to cover their own shame with their works, right? They, 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 they knit together fig leaves trying to, to cover their shame. But human works can't cover over sin. And, and if I could, if I could, I, I really don't talk about, you know, like the, the translation should be changed here. I, but if I can do one crusade, it, it's that we stop saying the cool of the day in Genesis. God came and says in the spirit of the day, he's coming in judgment. He's saying, man, present yourself. That's why he says, Adam, where are you? Come here. It's like, it's like when you hear that breaking of a lamp or a vase or something in your house and you hear footprints scatter. You know where they are. They're not that stealthy as you think they are, but you say, kids, where are you? <laughs> Come out here. We need to have a conversation. That's what's happening here. See, man would never come to God on their own. God had to come to man. And in God's judgment against sin, he gave a promise. In 3.15, Genesis 3.15, we hear the first proclamation of the gospel. He says this, I will put enmity between you and and the woman, he's talking to the serpent here, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What happens when a serpent bites you? What happened when, when, when Paul was bit by that, that snake? What they expect to happen? I expect him to drop dead, right? A snake bites you, you die. See, the cost of the crushing of Satan would be the death of the one who crushes. God would redeem his people through that cost. It's a high cost. And God warned them. He warned them. In, in, in the day that they sinned, they would die. And, and in Hebrew, it's this, it's this wonderful, what they, what they call an absolute. It's dying, you will die. It's like die, die, really die. Like mo not, not, not mostly dead, all dead. You will die. And say, God warned them in that day you would die. Only death can pay for sin. The wages of sin are death. And Adam believed God's promise of redemption. How do I know that? Well, up to this point, he, he, he gave names to everything, but he never gave a name to his wife. Now he does. Her names are Eve, the mother of all living. Not the mother of all death. The mother of all living. I love how the Bible exalts women. Here's another example of it. Mother of all life. So now scripture is going to trace this thread. Who would be the one who does this? Who would be that one? So scripture then tells us that, that they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Eve is very excited. I've gotten a man from the Lord. This must be the one who's going to do it. But what happens? Cain kills Abel. That's not what we were hoping would happen. This fall is some serious business, isn't it? We're not even out of the gate. We already have brothers killing brothers. 
It seems that promise is in danger. But they have another son, Seth. It's not going to come. This, this one wouldn't come through Cain's line. It would come through Seth. It would come through that line. And, and when years later, God calls a descendant of Seth, Ab uh, Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, and he tells him to go from the land uh, that he's in and he go to the land he will, that he will show him and that all nations would be blessed through him. All nations. Okay, it's going to come through his family. And God promises him, him a son because he was childless. And finally, finally, when he was about 100, <laughs> I, I, we joke what happens if we have, I'm 40, right? If we have another kid and I'm 40, man, I'd be crazy. Imagine being 100 and doing diapers again. Wow. But here's what happened. God visited his wife, Sarah, and she bore him a son, a son from, from, from his and her own body, the son of promise, Isaac. But our passage picks up with the promise sitting literally on a knife edge. As our passage opens proper, our passage says, God tested Abraham. Well, when we hear this word test, what do we think? We think, we think pass, fail. I, I have seminary students, and when, I, when, I, when they see the word test in Scripture, they, they, they start having panic attacks. Um, uh, but, but no, that, that's, that, that's not really what's going on here. You see, God has a decree. God has a decree. He has a plan. Uh, he's not going to let his grand plan for redemption go, oh, Abraham missed it. I guess I have to mod. No. He's got a decree. It's not like a pass or fail thing here. It, 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 he knew what, Adam, what Abraham would do. He knows. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. He knows what he's going to do. But the sense here of test is more like, like, like the testing of a precious metal. right? It's a tempering. God gave him a situation to bring out of his heart what is there, his faith. To bring it out that we can benefit from it, that, that, that the world could see it. And so God said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, there's a big clue here that something different is going on. See, Isaac was not Abraham's only son, right? He had another son, didn't he? Ishmael. But Ishmael was a son created by what? Human effort. When Sarah first heard that promise and Abraham first heard that promise and they're, they're getting on in age, Sarah offered Abraham his, her concubine Hagar and, 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 and as, a, as a wife. That, that must mean what God, mean, what God meant. Well, well, help this promise along, but no, God does not save through human works. And so God gave Abraham in his, a son in his old age. See, Isaac was the son of promise, the unique one, the only son, the only son which God gave through this promise. And he was told to take his only son, whom he loves, and sacrifice him and offer him as a burnt offering. Whoa. This escalated quickly, didn't it? Take the promised son, the one whom the covenant blessings were to come through, and sacrifice him? Lord, what if you promise? 
Could God bless the nations even if the promised one was to die? So our text says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I thought Abraham was going up there to sacrifice his son. What is going on here? But he, he tells the young men that, that he and the boy will go worship and they both would come back to them again. Well, what's in Abraham's head? Genesis doesn't tell us, but later on in, in, in Hebrews, it does. It, it, it says that according to Hebrews 11, Abraham was ready to trust his Lord and sacrifice his son because he believed God could even raise the dead. This isn't, this isn't going to stop your promise. I don't understand what you're doing here. But I believe you. I trust you. I'm following you. Okay. You must know what I don't. And so Abraham placed the wood on the back of his only son. And his son carried that wood up the hill while he held the knife and the fire and as Isaac carries the wood, he notices something missing. Uh, um, the, the week going up to Easter, um, I, I, I went up north, and, 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 and it wasn't a week of vacation. I was still working, but I got to work with a better view up in northern Michigan. And, and, and as we're getting in the truck to leave, all the kids are in there. I'm looking at the garage door, and the garage door is open, and I push the button on the garage door, and the garage door is coming down, and I, and I say, Honey, the garage door is closed, Right? And she says, yes, it is. I see it. I'm like, okay. Because I always think I left the garage door open, right? And, and it didn't take to the end of my street before I'm wondering what else I forgot, right? Because there's always something you forget. Well, here they are, they're walking. And, and he says, my father. And he says, well, here I am, my son. He said, behold, you got the fire and I got the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham strengthens his son in faith. Abraham says, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God's going to provide it. Let's trust him. God is the one who redeems us and provides for his offerings. And so they go to the place and Abraham built an altar and he laid out the wood and he, he bound his son, his only son, to the altar. And as he lifted the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Side note, when we hear, well, the Lord, the Lord is our provider in this context. What's it talking about? For provision, for a sacrifice, right? On this mountain, it is said on this mountain, the Lord would provide a sacrifice. That's called foreshadowing. It fixes 
in our mind that this spot, this mountain, Mount Moriah, is going to matter to us sometime in the future. In this spot, the Lord is going to provide an offering, a sacrifice. And God speaks to Abraham again, and he says, by myself, I have sworn. There's no one else hired to swear to. He swears to himself. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because all the nations of the earth will be blessed and his descendants will be like the stars and the grains of sand as you have obeyed my voice. Because Abraham the father did not withhold his only son the gates of the enemy will be crushed. His descendants will be like stars and grains of sand. You ever gone to the beach? How many times do you shake off your shoes and your socks and the floorboards are still covered with sand, aren't they? You can't count the sand. You can't count the stars. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. It'll be like trying to count sand, like trying to count stars. So that's, that's the picture. There's a lot of foreshadowing elements. There's a lot more going on here. So what's the reality? See, as redemptive history moves on, as the story moves on, Abraham's descendants are brought to Egypt and put into slavery. And after 400 years or so, they come out of Egypt and near Mount Moriah, where this incident took place, a, a city sprouts called Salem. Later on, it would be called Jerusalem. Salem, the city where God would build his temple, the place where he would put his name. And years, years, years later, centuries, centuries, centuries later, outside the gates of Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, God the Father laid the wood on the back of his only son, the son of promise. He arranged the wood into that last altar that would ever be built on this earth, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on that cross, God substituted Abraham's son of promise for his own son of promise. When, when God the Father stopped Abraham's hand from dropping the blade on his own son, God the Father took the knife out of his hand and he slayed his own son. He said, I'll take that from here. Thank you. On that mountain, God provided for himself the sacrifice for the sins of of all his people. Us pieces of sand, us stars, all his people. And just like according to Abraham's Abraham, just according to Hebrews 11, Isaac was as good as dead. There he is on the altar. Hebrews 11 says Isaac was as good as dead. But in a sense, when he was taken off that altar, it was like he was brought back from the dead. Picture going on here. So three days later, as Jesus lay in the tomb, God the Father did what? He rose him from the grave. And in his resurrection, Jesus destroyed the gates of our three great enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Destroyed for us. 
See, Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly in, in thought, in word, and in deed. Abraham's obedience is only a shadow. Jesus' obedience was perfect. Abraham was not a perfect man, y'all. <laughs> Don't you love that? I, I, I was listening to a Muslim apologist, and, 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 and Muslims, they, they, they do what's called dawah, which is, which is like how we do apologetics. They call it dawah. And, and his points, he says, the, the Old Testament has just been completely and mercilessly changed because we do not accept that God's prophets would sin like the Bible says David sinned or Abraham sinned. And I'm like, and that's what you don't get. Yes, they would. Because I would. Maybe I haven't killed anybody, but I've sure looked with anger in my heart. I've sure lusted. I've sure lied. Hey, Abraham was a liar. David was a murderer and lustful. I'm just like them. I don't get to be able to read the scripture and say, I thank you, Lord, I'm not like other men. I, I preached the gospel of Mark and, and I kept saying that this is our rule as we go through this gospel. You're not allowed to say, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like other men. But every time we see the apostles fail, we go, that's me. That's why I need Jesus. See, in, God, in Jesus Christ, being true man, succeeded where our first father, Adam, failed. And it's the perfect sacrifice that Isaac could never be because he's true God. And being true God, Jesus could pay the penalty for sins against an infinite God that sinful man could never pay. And because of, the, of Jesus' obedience in his life and his obedience in death, man now has the perfect Savior we need. And by faith in him, the same faith that Abraham had in God who provides his sacrifice, all who place their trust in Jesus are his descendants of that promise. As many as stars, as many as sand. Trust in Christ, that's promises for you. And through Jesus, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm Irish, Ryan Sean Kavanaugh. And don't go more Irish than this, it was with Patrick O'Rourke. How many nations are in here, y'all? How many nations? Behold the promise of God. We're in Walkerton, Indiana. No one can find this place on a map. And we're worshiping the God of Israel this morning. Oh, what joy. What joy. So as I bring this to a conclusion, why do we love these stories so much? These stories of redemption. Why do we love these stories where all hope seems lost? And then there's that ray of light that comes, that hope that helps them push on. And so finally, the ring is thrown into Mount Doom. Right? Smog is finally vanquished. The emperor is thrown into the reactor. Pick your story. They all say the same thing. Well, speaking of Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien, he considered this, and he wrote a really famous essay uh, called On Fairy Stories. It's, we don't really use the term fairy stories anymore, but a certain kind of, of story. And, and, and he says this. He says that, 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 that what makes fairy stories so good, he says the consolation of, of fairy tales has another aspect 
than the imaginative satisfaction of ancient desires. Far more important is the consolation of the happy ending. He says the happy ending is the most important part. He says, I almost would, would venture to assert that all complete fairy stories must have it. At least I would say that tragedy is, a form, is the true form of drama, its highest function, but its opposite is true of fairy stories. Since we do not appear to possess a word that expresses this opposite, he comes up with one. He calls it a eucatastrophe. What? A eucatastrophe. We hear Eucharist in there, don't we? And we hear catastrophe. Eucatastrophe. The eucatastrophe tale is the true form of fairy tale in its highest function. The consolation of fairy stories, the joy of the happy ending, or more correctly, of, 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 of the good catastrophe, the, or, or of the good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn. This joy, which is one of the things which fairy stories can produce supremely well, it's not essentially escapist, right? It doesn't remove them from the situation, right? Or, or fugitive, right? It doesn't make you run away from the situation. In its fairy tale or other world setting, it is a sudden and miraculous grace never to be counted on to recur. It does not deny the existence of a decatastrophe, of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. It denies, in the face of much evidence, if you will, the universal final defeat, and in so far, it is an, evan it is an evangelum, a gospel, a giving of a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. See, J.R. Tolkien was a Christian. And he realized as he studied ancient stories, they all have this turn. Because what is the truest story, the oldest story, the gospel story? He's pointing out that our hearts are longing for this story. We look for shadows of it all over the place. The gospel is here for us. The reason we are drawn to these stories is because we see ourselves and our situations in them. That becomes us. We connect with those characters. They become us. We identify with their hardships. They become us. And in their deliverance, it's us. That's what our heart is longing for. And it goes all the way back to the garden with our first parents, and it comes all the way through history to us today. We're drawn to these stories because it's our story. It's our story of sin and redemption, the story of Christ, the gospel. You see, all humanity is looking to be delivered from their sins, of men, uh, sins and, and misery. They don't know it. They don't know it. But they're longing for it. They're looking for it. And they're longing to be released from the futility that we see in the world. And so how do they do it? Some, some look for answers in government. If only we can get the right government in office, then all of our problems would go away. How's that been working out for us? I don't care what side you're on. Well, okay, well, government can't, you know, finances. You know, if I just get my bank account to the right level, all my problems would go away. No. More money, more problems. <laughs> But you know what? 
I just need to feel the right things. Maybe therapy is the right answer. Side note, side tangent, here comes the bunny. Um, that's one of the things that I wish would kind of go away in a lot of the church, um, where mental health is stigmatized. Some people need therapy. I need therapy. We all sometimes need therapy. People talk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where your entire life is based on how you perceive yourself, right? Only I can feel happy and be happy, and then I'll be happy. Well, no, that doesn't really work either. It denies the reality of a lot of your situations in life. It's, it's Stuart Smalley. I, I feel good, I look good, and people like me, and, 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 and that just that doesn't help. Well, maybe education. You know, if I just know the right stuff, if I could just learn the right things. The scriptures talk to that too. And I think you can testify this in your life. The more educated you are, the more red-pilled you've been, right? Well, then you just know all the stuff that's going on that's wrong, right? The scriptures say with much study is much vexation, right? What happened when you go down that hole? All of a sudden, you can't see back out again, right? Education doesn't help. It doesn't bring anybody happy. I guarantee you, education never made anybody happy. <laughs> but it's necessary sometimes. But if you look for the answer in it, people just knew the right things. That's not the answer either. What about sensual pleasure? I don't care what your sense is, right? Well, if this is all the life I got, I'm gonna get it for all I can get. Makes sense, it makes sense. If, if we're nothing more than, than, than well-designed protoplasm bags, who cares what stardust does to stardust? Makes plenty of sense if that's the case. The problem is it doesn't work because <laughs> has very diminishing results, doesn't it? See, none of them work because all those things, they're designed to bring us to the real story, the true story, the gospel story, the story we truly need, our true redemption. And the gospel of Jesus is the most true story. The ultimate story of which all other stories are simply a shadow. The story of the holy God rescuing a sinful people like us. See, all of you, all of me, we're all born into sin and death. We had no hope beyond this world. All that lay before us was death because of our sins. But then, when all hope seemed lost, God the Father promised us redemption through the work of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and applied it to us by God the Holy Spirit. The light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ has shone in our hearts, chasing away the darkness of sin and death. And so the important question i got to ask you is, where are you in this story? Where are you in this story of redemption? Do you find yourself still lost in sin and death? Without hope and without God? Are, are you lost in the darkness of sin? Death and the devil. Is that where you find yourself? But I have really good news for you. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he has come and he shines that light in the darkness for you to come to him, to his love, to his grace, to his mercy, to his perfect life and perfect death. And he promises us hope that if we repent and trust in his work alone, we are delivered from our enemies and eternal life is ours. So he offers you to say, I'll call upon Jesus. We'll find him a perfect savior. If you are trusting in him, what's your hope? When all hope seems lost, what's your hope? When Christ the Redeemer lay in the grave, 
<laughs> and rose again. The disciples on the road, they were like, well, we had hoped he would redeem Israel. But Jesus came with hope. He conquered sin, death, and the devil by rising from the grave. That is our true hope. That is the thing the world can't take away from you. That's what your sin can't take away from you. That's what the devil can't take away from you. Christ is for you. He is for you. And Peter wrote to summarize our hope and praise this way. And we'll end with this. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the re resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Let's rejoice in that this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this amazing story of, 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 of the redemption of Christ for us. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in hope, strengthen us in the mercy that you have given us through Christ. Help us to grow, find our strength in you when all hope seems lost. Lord, we love you. Help our love to you increase. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.